All right, again, uh, good evening. 2 Samuel chapter 2 is where we're going to begin tonight. Who can give me a 10-second or less synopsis or high point of something that we talked about last week? It was our first session of 2 Samuel and some of the related texts. But who can give me one thing that happened? What's the biggest thing that happened? Yes, we see the anointing of David. And who dies? Well, a lot of people die. But Saul dies. That gives way to the story. And then you have that young Amalekite who comes and he says, I'm the one that actually killed Saul thinking that that was going to make David bless him or David happy or David joyous. And David says, what in the world were you thinking? And he had his men destroy him and take him down. So chapter 2 is where we're going to begin together tonight when we think about the reign of King David. And ironically, lesson number 2, chapters 2, 3, and 4, is not so much about David. He plays a role in these particular chapters But we're going to uh, really focus on some other people. Tonight is, I was kind of joking with someone a little while ago. As I was preparing for tonight and reviewing for tonight, I had to keep going back and forth one page to the next page because my Ish, my, hang on, let me see. My Ishbosheths, my Abners, my Joabs, and my Asherhills get a little confusing sometimes, right? Who was the good guy? Who was the bad guy? No, he's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. No, he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. And getting them all, uh, we're going to try to make some sense of that tonight. And so if you're confused, don't feel bad because it makes me feel good that you were a little confused as well in studying for this. All right. What is David's first step in chapter 2, just in the first couple of verses that we can learn from? He goes to God and says, what shall I do? It happened after this, after the song where he does those three different kind of sub-chapters of lamenting, that it happened after this, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? What do we learn about that? And that's, this is our first slow-pitch softball, just to get us started tonight. What, do we, what does that teach us? Always seek God's will. Always. When we are uncertain about the future, seek his will. When we are uncertain about how to respond to something that's just happened in the past, seek his will. Go to him in prayer. Go to his word. Always seek God's will. I like, I like the way that Jonathan phrased that. Anything else? I think that's the, the, big, the big point we're getting here. Okay. Um, let's go down to about... Um, I guess verse 4, let's read very quickly here, verses 4 through 7. The men of Judah came, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. There's a series of about three major anointings or sub-anointings that end up happening uh, to David. They told David, said, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. Before we go any further, how's that going to make David feel? He's probably going to respond favorably to that because he, if, if he is not going to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed, parentheses, Saul, he, anybody that honors Saul is going to get David's attention. 
And so in verse 5, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and says, You are blessed to the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. Now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I will also repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So uh, paraphrase those four verses. What's happening here? If you were to outline this, what's, what just happened? David blessed them. I use the word uh, celebrates. He blesses them. He celebrates them. He honors them. He says, you've done good, and I appreciate you doing this. Again, this is showing the character of David. This is, in some ways, a biography, a biographical sketch of David over the course of 13 weeks. And we are going to see, as we said last week, the good, and we're going to see the not-so-good. We're going to see the high points in his life, and we are going to see the parts of 2 Samuel that you just want to tear out and never read again and hope they don't happen. So we're going to see the good, we're going to see the not-so-good in the life of David. But this is one of those times where we see David showing himself to be this character of, I will honor whom the Lord honors and do whatever the Lord wants. Then, in verse 8, we are reintroduced to a man by the name of Abner. What do we know about Abner? Okay. He's described as the leader or the commander of Saul's army. Let's go back just very briefly and just highlight 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 50 where it says the name of Saul's wife was Ahinam and the daughter of Ahimaaz, and the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. So we're going to see some relationships that are also a little bit confusing. Trying to, trying to trace family trees is a little bit challenging, but we can do it a little bit by going to other passages, which is why... I said we are looking at 2 Samuel and related texts together tonight. Um, now, we're going to spend the next two minutes answering the question that Sam posed for us last week. And Sam is going to give us his, his three-page uh, printout next week, uh, uh, double-spaced, 12-point font, 400 words or more of why... Was Abner still alive? First of all, why would Sam ask that question? Because we got to make sure we understand why the question is asked. The vast majority of the people with whom Saul was associated are now dead. But Abner, verse 8, and going back to what Ms. Sherry said, the leader of Saul's army, he's still alive. How is he still alive? Why is he still alive? And as is often the case, I don't know that I have the full answer. I have some thoughts. Um, but, I, but Sam, did you want to ha- take first crack at it? No? You don't have to. I'm just putting you on the spot here. Okay. Well, let me get your microphone here. Uh, and as he's answering this, and, and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Sam, because uh, I love you, like I said last week. Um, we, we're just positing some thoughts here. Okay, go ahead. So the only thing that I can think of is that, for whatever reason, he was left to watch over Saul's house. 
That's the only thing I can think of because as commander, he should have been out there in front of the king. Mm-hmm. Is there a, I'm glad you mentioned that, but perhaps he was uh, the leader of the house. He was the, the master of the house, so to speak. Is there another time in Second Samuel where a military figure should have been in battle and wasn't in battle? This is that game that I like to play sometimes called Guess What Leland's Thinking. Um, who, who am I talking about? I'm talking about David, right? When you get into chapters 11 and 12, David was back home, which put him in a position to see Bathsheba, and then that leads to all the things that happened in 11, 12, and following. So, yeah, um, I think that's a really good point that Sam makes, and I think that's a very uh, potential uh, answer to the question. Uh, It tells me that not all of Saul's people were annihilated, either because they were taking care of his house or they escaped or whatever the case may be. The vast majority, Brother Bruce here, the vast majority certainly were, as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 31, in the very ugly demise of Saul and his armor bearer and everybody else associated with it. Brother Bruce. If we go over to 1 Chronicles 8, and I believe it's verse 33, it kind of infers that he may have been Saul's uncle as well. Okay. And so he, he may have had some, uh, with the fierceness Family of the ties. battle, he may have had some uh, amenities that the other soldiers didn't have. Okay. Good. Sometimes, uh, uh, Brother Mitch here in the middle, um, you can go, yeah, however you want to do it. Michael, we're going to give you a workout tonight. Uh, that's a very good point. Sometimes family ties help. Sometimes they hurt, right? Uh, just kind of building off what uh, Brother Sam said, I think you could also see maybe, uh, you know, just historically, uh, with a king, you protect the lineage mm-hmm. to an extent, right? So you protect the lineage and... From what we know of First Samuel, Saul was very worried about his lineage and about it not passing to David. So it would make sense that somebody would be left behind and not all of the sons would be in the battle because you would need someone to take up the throne in case something happened. And I think it would also make sense that you would leave an experienced advisor, as it would be with the general, to make sure that everything went smoothly because Saul knew that it wasn't going to go well. I mean, he had a lot of warning but it wasn't going to go well, so he may have made a little planning with Very that good. as well. Very good. Excellent thoughts. Excellent thoughts. Um, because there's another person who we haven't talked about tonight, although I mentioned him once, who's also still alive, and you could answer, ask the same question, and that's about who? Yeah. Try Again, going back to uh, Phil's comment two weeks ago, try to say Ishbosheth three times um, in a row very quickly. But yeah, Ishbosheth. Where? Why is he still there? Mitch may have, Mitch and Sam and, and Bruce may all have something to be on this. Kind of like in, in 21st century United States, um, the president and the vice president can be in the same place at the same time, but they're not the same car traditionally or the same airplane at the same time. Uh, David and I, David uh, Bunning and I, are not in the same car at the same time. Yeah, there's always a designated survivor, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's very true. Okay, let's talk about uh, Ishbosheth for a moment. What is his name translated? Uh, this is a bonus question. If you've got a study Bible, it's probably there. Um, uh, what does his name mean? If I come across that, I thought it was just interesting. Man of shame, a shameful man. Now, how would you like your name to be 
shameful man. But that's what his name is translated. And there's, there's some studies behind that. That's rabbit holes that we won't go down tonight. Um, who was Ishbosheth? We've already answered that, but who is he? He is a surviving son of Saul. Uh, and who makes him king? I thought that was interesting the way that it's phrased. Abner makes him king. So let's read verse 8. Abner, commander of the, uh, the uh, army of Saul, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to, I worked on pronouncing this, I looked up the pronunciation, to the M word, and made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, all Israel. There is a section, if you read down two more verses, that he doesn't have authority over, and that is where? Judah, all right? Which is the southern section. And, of course, that's where David is going to have his stronghold, which is going to pose a problem, an obvious problem, when you have a either a pseudo-civil war or a full-fledged civil war break out. What happens at the Pool of Gibeon? Without reading ahead, this is inter- this is. I mean, there are places in Second Samuel, and I was talking about this with with a brother just uh, an hour or so ago. Second Samuel is is one of those books that, on the surface, you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but then the more you read, the more it's like, this is really fascinating stuff, and not always fascinating good. It's fascinating ugly sometimes. We have some ugly stuff happening tonight. Uh, it's the kind of stuff that little kids love reading about and hearing about in the Bible class, um, especially little boys. Ten-year-old uh, boys love hearing this kind of stuff. But what happens at the um, Pool of Gibeon? Someone give me a 20-second synopsis of that or 10 seconds. Yeah. So you line it. How many? So 12 on each side, right? Yeah, so you have 24 generals or 24 commanders or 24 uh, military leaders. And they have this like wrestling match, except it was a wrestling match that involved weapons. And what ends up happening? (laughs) I mean, it's not humorous, but it is disturbingly bizarre that they all kill each other. And so it's like a tie. All right, we got 12 kills over here and 12 kills over here. It's a tie. What are we going to do about that? So you have 24 sword bearers, and then what happens after that ends up transpiring? Immediately after that. Yeah. Yeah, you have a major fight that breaks out, so you have a battle that ensued. Let's go back and read just a couple of those verses uh, here. Uh, it's called the field of sharp swords. Uh, each one, verse 16, grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Now, I don't know exactly how all this happened. I don't know if it was like orchestrated. Uh, it, I mean, it was a pandemonium, I would think. Um, and I don't, I just, I talk about those moments that, you wish were on tape. Maybe you don't want to see this on tape. But there's a part of me that I'd, I'd want to hit the play button and, and watch this. i, I got to admit. Um, transpiring. And uh, so there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abner, the men of Israel, were beaten before the servants of David. 
lessons from this. I, I, and I'm not sure there are lessons from this. I, there probably are. Uh, one, don't go to a sword fight, um, I guess. Um, thoughts before we progress further into the last section of chapter 2 because we're going to deal with the last 10 verses here in just a second. Brother Bruce, got something here? I'll go ahead and pull up our next screen here because we're going to talk about the discussion between Abner and Asahel. Go ahead, Brother Bruce. Well, Abner had openly defied God. Yes, he had. Uh, David was the king uh, to be appointed over Israel uh, and he acted on his own. Uh, he did what he thought was right in his own eyes, and it resulted in this pathetic display where he said, let the, let the men rise and play, uh, killing each other, and then uh, he was embarrassed. He was uh, ashamed at his defeat by David. Mm -hmm. Israel was defeated by Judah. Very good. And that open defilement against God, God's plan, God's anointed, uh, is seen also in the story of the kings in the most infamous leader of northern kings that starts with a J who did a similar kind of thing. What was his name? Jeroboam. Remember that Jeroboam the first, it, it's almost always saying, like, like in the days of Jeroboam, parentheses, as in the evil of Jeroboam, parentheses. So that same kind of thing happens with Jeroboam when he rises up and we have the, him, him and Rehoboam going at it uh, later in, in our account when we get to that. Well, we won't get to that, but when someone gets to that. Okay, let's talk about Abner and Asahel. Who is Asahel? Y yes. So there is a family relationship here. Note that he is a nephew of David. We won't take the time to read 1 Chronicles, but this is where 1 Chronicles, especially the second section of 1 Chronicles, becomes more important in our study next week and the week after. Um, but you see that there is a family relationship here. So he is a nephew of David. And let's read here. Uh, was he fast or was he slow? He was fast. He was likened unto what animal? A gazelle. All right. So the speed of a gazelle here. And verse 20, Abner looked behind him and he says, are you Asahel? He said, I am. Abner said, turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. What's he saying there, by the way? Yeah, he's saying give up or if you're going to fight me, then Fight me in a way that's presentable, right? But Asahel would not turn from his side. So Abner again said, turn aside, verse 22, from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. And then here we have, there's a lot of thrusting in sides and spears going in and things happening in stomachs in our lesson tonight. So this is not for the weak of heart tonight. But verse 23, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back. He fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, they stood still. So we have this, what I call, vicious fashion of killing here. Not the, not the only one that happens in our story tonight, but one of them that, that transpires. 
Um, what happens in the next couple of verses without reading ahead? Well, hopefully you've read ahead or you can read ahead right now. But what happens in the next few verses? Another standoff. And ultimately what ends up happening, well, you have a brief kind of interlude where there was a seemingly a ceasefire of some sort, right? Verse 26 where it says, um, Abner called to Joab and he said, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter to the latter, to the latter end? How long will it be until you tell the people to return from pursuing the brethren? Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the people stood still, did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. So there's a pause, right, in what's happening here. Um, but like Sam pointed out, it's not a final ceasefire or a final pause the fighting ends up continuing between these two divisions these two parties and um, then at the end of the chapter or near the end of the chapter and beginning of the next chapter this is one of those interesting chapter breaks by the way in in biblical um, lineups right sometimes we look at this and say why is why is this happening but who grows weaker and weaker Israel, the house of Saul, grows weaker and weaker and weaker. Which we knew that was going to happen because uh, that's one of the things that Mitch pointed out. That's one of the things Brother Bruce pointed out. We knew that was going to transpire. That's not much of a, a surprise. So again, David is a, is a relative um, sub-character to chapter 2. It's not really until chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we really elevate David to be the focal point of the study of 2 Samuel. But these things that are happening in the first two to three weeks of our study are just as important to get. And there's some lessons that we'll try to get out of that. Thoughts on chapter 2 before we proceed to chapter 3. Uh, Sister Linda here. And then, is that it? Okay, coming to you. Well, I just have a question. Um, back in verse 14, I'm reading from New American Standard. And Abner t says to Joab, let the young men arise and hold a contest before us. Mm. So are they sitting back waiting for their turn to get into the fight? Hmm. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, what do we think? Are they sitting back watching this? Are they spectators? Is that what you're asking here? For a time. Before you know, if, if you have the, if, if, if instead, of, instead of 12 to 12 kills, uh, so a net gain of zero, if it would have been 12 to zero, would things have gone differently? Would a fight broken out then? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly. Anybody else have thoughts? So much of these things are left for us to, and I think rightly so, wonder and speculate and say, I wonder why. Brother Phil here. Sure, go ahead. Correct. Yeah. Right. And remember, this is in an era 3,100 years ago, 3,200 years ago, where uh, I guess we could say that, I w we could say that men were men, but we could also say men weren't that smart. Uh, and say, here, come out and fight me, and we'll just fight each other with swords, and then we see what ends up happening. 
Uh, okay, let's go ahead for the sake of time here. I knew we were, uh, were potentially going to run up against the clock, and we may do that here, but we'll be okay. Second Samuel chapter 3, the first uh, verses 2 through 5, what, what's happening in verses 2 through 5? David's sons. So I just called it a brief biographical interlude. There's some important stuff in there. There's definitely important names. How many sons are mentioned by, by number? Six different sons. Uh, the ones that kind of jump out to you based on our preview uh, quiz last week is probably Absalom. He, he's probably one of the most familiar of those sons because of, of his future, which we'll get into in about three weeks. Uh, but let's go ahead. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, skip over that, but I'm going to try to skip over that so that we can get to some other stuff here. Uh, let's go ahead to Abner and Ishbosheth's problem, because we have a problem here. Uh, verse 6 It was while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, so it's still going on, even though they had that ceasefire 26 through 28, uh, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth uh, and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? What does that mean? Put that in 21st century English. Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? What's he, is he, is he, is he, what's he's, I, I guess, what, what's he asking? Go ahead, Sam. You look thoughtful. He's, he's basically saying, you know, do I own that piece of Judah? Right, right. Uh, have, look, at, would, would I do something like that? So we, we are never told in the text whether or not this is true or not, Right whether or not the charge is valid or not uh, regarding this concubine. Um, but he says, today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends. And like Sam said, have I not delivered you into the hand of David and you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? So he's, he's not happy with this, right? These are, these are fighting words. These are not nice words. These are not, they're not playing nice together at this particular juncture. So there is a serious nature to Ishbosheth's charge. Why is it so serious? G- given the culture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's threatening. These are, these are these are again fighting words. And when you um a, a again I I don't want to be um want to be careful with my words, but 3000 years ago a concubine was almost property to whoever the person in charge was taking that property uh as as wrong as that sounds to us and i and it should sound wrong to us uh is a very serious charge to to violate that law so what ends up happening what does abner do going forward say again Okay, he's going to kill Ishbosheth. We'll get there. Who does he ally himself with? Lies himself with David. This is where my eyes were going cross today as I was going pages back and forth. I want to make sure. Wait a minute. Did I just read what I thought I read? I mean, I've seen this before, but 
So the person who was against David is now for David, and the person who was the bad guy is now the good guy or potential good guy, and all these different things are happening. And so people that would charge that the Old Testament is a boring section of 39 books are people who've certainly not read Second Samuel because this is anything but boring. This is exciting stuff to read and to see how these different things are going to play with each other and interplay with one another. So Abner allies himself with David going forward. And uh, Abner and David even go so far as to draw up basically some sort of a covenant, do they not? Uh, look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Abner sent messengers to David. Whose is the land? Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you. David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you is what? What does he want? He wants Michael, right? Who's Michael? Right, so it's a female. That, that's the first thing that catches our attention, not spelled Michael in a traditional M-I-C-H-A-E-L way, right? Um, but so now we've got the return of Michael. Uh, we were introduced to her back in 1 Samuel chapter 18 a long time ago, back when Mitch was teaching uh, about six weeks ago when we were introduced to him. Uh, let's go ahead and read a little bit further here down into uh, verses 17 through roughly verse 30. We're not going to read all those verses here. But talk to me about what happens now with Joab and Abner. What happens next? Okay. And before that happens... uh, uh, did Joab know about Abner initially, about Abner and David? No, he found that to be a complete surprise. Uh, at the moment, verse 22, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away. He had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were there, they told Joab and they said, Abner, the son of Nair, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. In, in your own words, in your own vernacular, what is uh, the reaction uh, of what, what's, what's, what's Joab's gut reaction? Say again. What have you done? He's not happy at all about this. He, he's... You can almost imagine him saying, say that one more time. <laughs> he let him go in peace. You, you, the, the, go ahead. You let the spy go in peace. Why didn't you take him into custody or worse or better yet, you know, kill him, right? So Joab returns and learns the news about peace between Abner and David. And in an era where there's so much war and fighting, whenever there's finally peace... There should be some cause for celebration, but that's not the way Joab uh, responds. And so to, to borrow from Ms. Janita, Mr. John, and Mr. Phil, very upset about this uh, particular uh, thing. And what does Joab do? As someone said, maybe Bruce or, or someone said up here, what does Joab do to Abner? He hunts him down. And how does he do it? Well, not, not, not how does he do it. We'll get to the... the the method, uh, like clue in the which, which in what room and 
Just a couple of you got that. Okay. But what conversation happened? Yeah, he says, let's, let's get together and have a conversation, right? Presumably to have a conversation, right? And so Joab kills Abner. Let's go and read verse 26. When Joab had gone from David's presence, he, presence, he sent messengers after Abner who brought him back from the well. David didn't know it. Abner had returned to Hebron. Joab took him aside at the gate to speak with him privately. And there, what did he do? When in doubt in early 2 Samuel, someone's going to stab someone in the stomach or in the side. That's what's going to happen. So he stabs him in the stomach. Um, bonus question, and it has nothing to do with our study tonight, but let's see if you can remember what we studied about 12 to 18 months ago. We'll give 100 bonus points, which are worth nothing, to the person who can identify the two individuals who were involved in a stabbing incident that involved a fat man. Eglin and Ehud, right? And who was, who, was the, who was the messenger with the knife? Ehud, right? And I don't know, and I, I don't know that I have any tricks to tell you uh, how to remember who the good guy and the bad guy is in that story because they both start with E's. Uh, but Eglon was the big king. And remember, Ehud says, I've got a messenger. I've got a message for you today. And he said, so there's a lot of uh, stabbing in the stomach in the Old Testament um, that you got to know about. And it's important. So we may, when we do our review, it'll all be stabbing in stomachs. That'll be, the, that'll be our review when we're done. Okay, on an all serious note, how does David react when he hears this news? What's his, what's his emotional reaction? Yeah, he's upset. I heard someone say he's sad. He's upset. And so David has sadness. You read 28 through 39, uh, he actually includes another, there's, here's another dirge or lamentation or poem or song in verse 33. Uh, Should Abner die as a fool dies, your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. By the way, what are fetters? We sing about fetters sometimes. What are fetters? Stocks, handcuffs, right? Let thy goodness like a fetter by my wandering heart to thee. So make sure we know that. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Okay, very good. Uh, let me see where we are. We've got six minutes left, and I've got one slide left, so we're doing well. Any comments on chapter 3? Because I know we went through that relatively quickly, and chapter 3 is a long chapter, almost 40 verses long. Anything else from chapter 3? Brother Bruce, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Excellent. So for those of you who didn't hear, especially the last part of what Bruce said, faith, and you said corruption, right? Say again? Yeah, that's what I thought that's what you said. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little slow. Slow. Faith and corruption. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take your talking privileges away again. Uh, absolutely, faith and corruption, uh, and uh, there, there's a dependence on God doing what God wants you to do, and it really goes back to the very beginning of where we started, uh, what Jonathan Reeves said at the beginning. 
Do what the Lord wants you to do and always seek what the Lord wants you to do. That's how David started this out in chapter 2 uh, in verse 1. And that's where we're going to kind of wrap up here and end in the next three or four minutes. Okay? Anything else on chapter 3 before we get to chapter 4? Yes, Brother Sam. Microphone's on the way. And then we'll talk about what happens in 4, which is a brief chapter. So we'll be able to accomplish that. You know, if, if you think about it from the standpoint of men and kingdoms and power, you would almost say, hey, I can understand Joab trying to take out the leader of the enemy if it was because he was thinking about, well, look, it's God's will that David is king, so maybe by taking out the leader of the enemy, I'm helping God's will. But it wasn't, that, that wasn't the reason. It was purely revenge. Hmm. And, and, and so there was, and, and David, in his reaction, even, he, he even talks about that, that, you know, there's no place for that. Absolutely. I am free of the blood of this man. I am glad you brought that up. I forgot to mention one of the points that I had here was, was verse 27, part B, where it gives, because I skipped over it. So he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So this what, like Sam says and said it very well, this is revenge. This is uh, a vengeance that he had, um, a real sense of, I'm going to get you for this. Okay, let's do chapter 4 in the course of about three or two minutes here. Uh, who dies in chapter 4? Ishbosheth. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart and all Israel was troubled. Uh, so Ishbosheth, I said, was distraught. Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana or Banna, and the name of the other was Rechab, the sons of Remon. Um, the son, dropped down to verse 5. The sons of Remon, Rechab and Banna, set, and your pronunciations are better than mine, I'm sure, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth who was lying on his bed at noon. They came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. And they escaped. Uh, for when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in the bedroom. They struck him, they killed him. And then what do they do? They beheaded him. So they beheaded him. So Ishbosheth is killed. Um, Note, if you would, David's reaction. What is David's reaction here in, in the last three or four verses? Right. Right. He's, so apparently they hadn't read chapter 1, right? So in verse 12, David commanded his young men. They executed them, the two men uh, that we just talked about cut off their hands and feet, didn't stab them in the stomach, hanged them by the pool in Hebron, took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. Uh, what is this? Here we end with basically where we begin. What does this teach us about David? He, he, is, he is proving himself to be an honorable. He's a character. Uh, he has character um, and strong feelings about anyone related to the Lord's anointed. And he says, you know, Ishbosheth may not be the best guy in the world. Saul may not have been the best guy in the world. 
But who am I to raise my hand against them and to say something or to do something that would be harmful to them? I have no right to do that. And so uh, at this point, we would give David flying colors and say he's doing very well. As the story progresses, though, uh, if you haven't read 2 Samuel in a couple of years and you've forgotten what ends up happening, uh, things don't work out real, real well, even though... One of our key verses is from the book of Acts. David is a what? Man after God's own heart. Uh, And that's in spite of his failures and in spite of his uh, mistakes. Which, well, I'll leave you then with this. Something that I'll mention almost every time we study an Old Testament character like David or like Samson or Jephthah or others that we've studied. Fortunately... God looks at our entire life and with his grace forgives us if we're penitent and is willing to call us his children and call us home. And that's good. I'm glad that he doesn't take my weakest moment and say, there you go. I'm going to grade you just on your weakest three days of your life. That's not the way he does that. Not to say that we can just throw caution to the wind. That's not what I'm suggesting. And I think we all understand that. Final thoughts in our last uh, brother Bruce here. Sure. And then Brother Bill. So go ahead, Michael. B- Bill's up here too. Bill Bain. There would be fewer people who got poked in the stomach. That's because true. Because they would have girded their loins. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, Brother I Bill. Yeah, I don't know how to follow that. I'm going to uh, give it a shot. So kind of build off the point you're making. I think this this whole section lasts a couple of years, give or take, from what we see from mm-hmm. Chapter 3, I think this proves Samuel's point that kings are just problem. You got civil war, you got family trouble. Like, what was the king supposed to be doing right now? Uniting the nation, writing the law for himself. Um, Where's the priesthood? Where's the tabernacle? Where's the feasts? It's all civil war and drama. And that's that's not specifically called out in Samuel's warnings, but I think it's tied to what what Mitch introduced us to in the king. Like, God said, look, you're going to have problems. Yep. The whole way. So That's a great segue into the next two weeks. Where is the ark? We've got more issues to kind of figure out, right? Okay. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, everyone else. We'll go ahead and stop there.